Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode, Chess Vice President of Value-Based Operations, Josh Weyer, has a conversation with J.P. Sharp, one of the original architects of the next-gen ACO model at CMMI and current Chief Growth Officer at RippleCare, about what it was like at the infancy of the value movement. Uh, J.P. Sharp, welcome to the Move to Value podcast. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. I wanted to start. You have had an interesting path in getting into to healthcare. You are a lawyer by training, and you earned your JD from uh, University of Michigan, also received your Master's of Public Health from there as well. Was there a particular moment or, or experience that got you interested in, uh, in healthcare and, and moving away from the law? Uh, yeah, excellent question. Uh, I won't pretend to give universal career advice on how to go about this, but I can tell a little bit about how I got started, uh, which is I went into law school kind of with healthcare in mind. I have a healthcare family from different angles, a veterinarian, a oral surgeon, and a pathologist all kind of in the in the family. And, and I was a little bit of the black sheep and didn't go in directly into the clinical side of things, but was still fascinated by it and uh, also just the complexity of it. So as I was thinking about grad school, that's when the ACA passed and uh, lots of effort and attention on that unique window of opportunity there. So I went in thinking, hey, let's be a lawyer for a little bit and focus on healthcare and then see what happens. And uh, the see what happens happened a little sooner while I was in school and just realizing that this is great you know, experience, but I wanted to start doing things and being part of this transformation sooner rather than later. Uh, so that's kind of where I, I took that turn to say, all right, how do I get on the, the front lines and, and really start uh, being an, an actor in this space? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, interesting to uh, to sort of hear your your thought process there and, and glad you moved over to to healthcare, uh, you've had a, a expansive career. Uh, been in a number of, of places, including uh, CMMI, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Optum. Um, recently, you've moved over to the provider side of the house. Um, but I'd like to start with your time at, at CMS. You were there in the in the early days of CMMI and uh, payment transformation and, and redesign. Uh, tell us a little bit, what was that experience like being there in those early days? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, pretty unique. Uh, some people described CMMI as the little innovation or uh, group inside uh, you know, the government bureaucracy and uh, a little startup inside the, the government. And it was actually like that, both with the people, the mission, and also like how we worked physically, it was set in a separate building, which one of those like nondescript, you don't know it's a government building from the outside, <laughs> but you know, inside they'd like colored it 
you know, bright colors and had treadmill desks and stuff. And so it was like they set it up to actually be a little bit more exciting. And they brought in people who otherwise probably weren't going to be super attracted to government jobs like that you stereotypically think of, you know, the bureaucratic kind of regular day-to-day stuff. They, yeah. they were able to, because of the mission here and the the attention that this was getting as just a major opportunity and moment in healthcare transformation. They they brought in people of all walks of life and different backgrounds. So we had people with health sciences, uh, health services researchers with PhDs and MDs and MBAs and MPHs and a few folks with like me with random other degrees, uh, just to all like get around the table and and uh, figure things out uh, from end to end. And so it was uh, really just like a, a very mission-driven place with this big task ahead of ourselves. And uh, it was, it, you know, it's, it's something that you quickly learn too, is that uh, the funding behind it, it's actually pretty big. You're thinking about how to build a portfolio over 10 years, which was the first kind of funding cycle of CMMI, $10 billion over 10 years. And to really ramp that up from zero to uh, how are we actually going to be distributing these dollars, paying differently, and get it out the door to actually learn things in a reasonable time frame, so that then the end goal of all of this is to say, what actually reduce costs and improve quality yeah or some combination of the other, and then expands those things to actually mm-hmm. make a scaled national level impact. And so well, you see the, the kind of evolution from the early days was, let's just try to get money out the door like and like start things happening to getting a little bit more refined to, all right, let's think about the a rigorous evaluation before, you know, the models start mm-hmm. going, <laughs> you know, so it's like set up to evaluate more properly uh, how you refine and tweak all of those little ACO levers and policy points, just uh, doing it a little bit more iteratively than you often see the government doing, uh, kind of with one big program launch. And so that was that was a lot of the both exciting but a little scary, uh, you know, components of, of being there in those early days. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a good and interesting time. Um, uh, a unique time for sure. Um, yeah, your description of the building is not what I would have in mind for a government <laughs> building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Woodlawn, Maryland out there, uh, you know, that you see the big CMS building, which looks like a big government building out there. And then you don't realize that like down the street, there are a few other like expansion parts that, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't know that the CMMI is operating inside there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So tell us a little bit about uh, uh, where you were in in the path of CMMI. So uh, you and your team, I believe, were heavily involved in in the design of uh, the next gen ACO model. Uh, what other uh, big items were you working on in terms of payment design uh, your days at CMMI? Yeah, so they had. Uh... Uh, you know, various different groups. I was in what they called the seamless care models group, and that had those ACO programs as well as other primary care 
related initiatives and the the first of the kidney care initiatives, which have since uh, all of, of which have evolved uh, recently. And so those were all kind of the, the first and second iterations of those programs focused on the broadest based uh, risk distribution to responsible provider uh, partners out there. And so I went on uh, macro legislation passed. Uh, so that uh, a big part of that, uh, if, if folks recall, was uh, payments and, and setting up a new program, which we ended up calling the quality payment program. And, and about half of that was the new MIPS program, which I like no comment on whether people love it or hate it or, you know, or ambivalent, but uh, the other half was designed to accelerate the adoption of alternative payment models. And so I led that work of basically writing that first rule and launching that first program under the quality payment program, uh, which was uh, just you know, phenomenal experience and, and uh, spanned everything we were thinking about as far as APMs go. Uh, and I, you know, got my probably lifetime fix of writing like large federal rules like that. Uh, but uh, it was, it was, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, the the number of comments on this thing like broke records. It was just one of these things that was also a pretty potentially big shift in yeah. broad-based payment across uh, across CMS, Medicare. Medicaid, and so um, it, you know, so it was kind of grappling with all of these key decision points. Of course, the legislation's tricky. As a agency, you have to operate you know, within what what Congress passed, and so there was just a lot of that's with kind of the legal stuff, like actually came in handy in in life to say like, how do you read this law? What are the degrees of freedom that the agency has to be able to actually just execute the intent of this or make sure it's as successful as possible or gets that kind of intended effect uh, through you know all these different little levers inside the big kind of legislative language that they sent our way um, so yeah that was that was most of my time there at CMI and spent a little time uh, in the front office doing kind of general strategy portfolio strategy work uh, as well uh, love to hear as you were you were there and developing and designing uh, those models. What what stuck with you in terms of uh, principles that uh, that you learned um, were important to uh, alternative payment models and, and value based care? Yeah, and um, I won't. I certainly won't be able to recite them, but I like the use of principles, and I've kind of carried that everywhere I go. Uh, and that's also something that uh, our director at the time, Patrick Conway, also used, you know, it was like, what are the what are the guiding principles? Uh, and so, again, I won't be able to uh, recall exactly what we'd written down on paper, but we did actually have that while we were uh, creating these new payment models is writing down and putting uh, up on the screen and all of our meetings and conversations. These are our principles for this model and the purpose of what we're doing. And actually part of the like preambles, if you ever read the requests for application for the CMMI models, I think they still do this too. There's usually a purpose section at the top and it's like, it gets like written in kind of obscure legalese, but it is it is something that's like 
tailored to the models to, to say this is what we're trying to test here and why. And uh, and so as a center, there are a couple parts. Like there were technical things we were trying to to figure out. And so uh, as like this is very early days of ACO and all the things we now take for granted on how to do attribution and how to benchmark and how to like exclude people or car people in or out and all of these like what time periods you're doing stuff and if you as what you do with the ESRD population relative to the, the general population and and all the things that like happen under the covers now when you like sit down with actuaries and contracting stuff and like look at what has been learned in the SACO space, those were still like evolving. So there's a lot of like technical learning on just how does this program mechanically work in a way that's going to be fair to providers, something that's going to actually attract uh, people or like provider organizations that want to apply and participate in this, see this as an opportunity, both financially and clinically to do better and do, do good things. And then uh, really just overall broadly, uh, you know, like gain adoption and experience and learn. And so there was also, there was a whole group at CMMI called the Learning and Diffusion Group that kind of spanned the models. And so that was, that was a bit of just the indicator of what we thought it was important at CMMI, which is all of these models need to have a learning component. They're evolving, both the government and the the participants and the providers in these programs need to learn from each other and, and kind of across all those streams. So kind of having that infrastructure was really key. And then, of course, having a certain number of successes uh, that could be quantified, meaning, okay, these models actually, through evaluation, rigorous evaluation, met the criteria for reducing costs, keeping quality the same, or improving quality and keeping costs the same and improving both. So getting things that actually cross that threshold in which CMS could recommend uh, that they would expand the program more broadly. And so that having some programs actually accomplish that, which they did, and then actually expand them was, was a big goal to say, all right, like, you know, we're learning a bunch of stuff, but there's also savings that are being generated by the center. Right. So uh, after uh, CMMI, you went to a private payer, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, where uh, we worked together in, in designing alternative payment models there. Uh, what what are the, the differences, um, you know, going from the largest payer um, in, in the country, um, uh, being Medicare, and then going to a private payer, uh, what what was more challenging or what worked better or, or just different? Yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun making that shift. And I think it was a good mix of things that were pretty similar and things that were very different. And so it was a nice transition and challenge. And that was the kind of mission of going and doing that was hey, we did a bunch of this stuff at the federal level. We started to get the ball rolling. What does that look like in the private market if we were to really make this a top priority somewhere, uh, which is what Blue Cross did and which is what made it exciting is to say, all right, if we get all the energy behind this at a private payer, what's the, uh, you know, how big of a swing can we take? So I think um, 
these similarities were, hey, these are both big bureaucratic organizations. Certainly, federal government, like the biggest, most bureaucratic organization, but they're also <laughs> like pretty good at it, but but also very rigid. So you know, we were working through like deep operational issues there that were not fun or cool, but they were just part of what like doing health policy transformation is. Like, how do you change the coinsurance, you know, mm -hmm. variation or a variable or like the counter on it for a beneficiary if they're going to provider A versus provider B because one's in an ACO and one isn't and make right. sure that the beneficiary isn't harmed and they're paying you know, no more than they were going to before, hopefully less. And so uh, like all of that stuff on a claims operating system that was decades old mm -hmm. and good at moving like a trillion dollars, but not good at changing. That's actually not far off from the where, where like Blue Cross was also, which yeah. is, hey, billions of dollars flowing through that on an annual basis, uh, how they can accurately do you know, fee for service claims in a certain way, because that's what the systems over decades have been built to do. Not super good at doing all kinds of creative, flexible things that we were wanting to to test and do with providers, especially if uh, you know we had five different things we wanted to launch in a year that all did things a little bit differently. And so, so that mm -hmm. was like pretty similar across them. I think the you know fun part and different part is is thinking about the different parties more uh where you know federal government gets to create a program in a box certainly with a bunch of input over time so a lot of learning research goes into these things but then they say here is the monolithic model come apply to it and everybody kind of comes and participates in the exact same program under the same terms at a private payer it's it's all like a bunch of negotiated contracts at the end of the day. And so you try to make it as you know, uh, consistent as possible for the sake of not having wasteful customization all over the place and things that, that break. Mm -hmm. So you try to try to keep things as close as possible, but each party's going to have different interests, different negotiations, different like elements that are just important to each party in each of the conversations. And so thinking about all those different variables all the time uh, was a lot of fun. Plus, there's also you know, uh, less uh, prescriptive regulation around what those contracts can look like mm -hmm. at CMMI. Mm -hmm. Like, this is your mission. These are the types of programs you could launch. This is your waiver authority. So you can move these levers in these different ways and pay people differently in these prescribed ways uh, at a at a private payer, the regulatory you know, window is a lot wider, uh, in which you can pull a lot of different levers without having to go back to Congress and ask them to, you know, change something. So, so that was a lot of fun too. Um, yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop with that. I could go on. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. 
If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.